Welcome to Mysterious Goings On. We're going to get right to the show after these messages. Hi, I am Connor Braden, host of the Story of a Storyteller podcast, author of The Longest Night and General Egypt, and you are listening to Mysterious Goings On. Elmo, Miss Piggy. Kermit the Frog, Big Bird, Cookie Monster, Oscar the Grouch, The Count. These are just some of the most lovable characters to ever come from a television screen. And how did the first and all-time best educational television show manage to make learning fun? Through decades of social change, how did Sesame Street navigate multiple generations to better understand serious issues and learn educational skills, all the way from bullying to love, racism, and charity to knowing numbers, mastering letters, speaking, and, and a big one, telling time? Well, we're going to find out today. Dr. Lucille Burbank is with us. She is a successful, <laughs> a successful, that is, educational media consultant and author based on her behind-the-scenes work in the research division of Sesame Street where she met with the show's head writer to make important script changes and she has created the definitive 50-year uh, celebration of the historic children's program it's called the inside secrets of sesame street and this is the third edition dr lucille can you tell me how to get can you tell me how to get inside sesame street here on mysterious goings on oh my gosh it's it's in your mind it's in your heart <laughs> But you know, there is actually a real Sesame Street in New York City on 63rd and Broadway when it turned uh, 50 years old in 2019. The mayor, there's a Sesame Street sign there so you can actually physically go to Sesame Street, although, you know, we go every day in our head. <laughs> I know I do. Well, that just leads me to the first question I, I wanted to ask you, because I, I and if I missed it in the book, I apologize. Why Sesame Street? Why was the name Sesame chosen? Do you know? Oh my gosh, my gosh! You know that. Um, what is it? That story about Alabama and the thieves, whatever. Yeah. Al Alibaba okay. and the Forty Thieves. Yeah. Yes. Well, there. When the thieves went in, he overheard the word open sesame. So he, again, you know, went in afterwards and got the treasure. But this is a treasure chest of learning, of fun. So sesame, and then you've got the street, which is so beautiful, that brownstone rural street um city street rather right. and you've got uh something good going and that street is really now the american dream we're all on that street it's completely true you know what i i love about your book and this this book is is a delight for me now i i was born uh, probably the year they were produced getting in production 68 so they were getting ready to launch in 69 right um, so they were already, obviously already working on the show at 68. So uh, here I come out of the world and I just know this, that um, just 
little little Jay Alex Greenwood watching Grover and watching Oscar the Grouch and Cookie Monster, all of them. I am a first generation Sesame Street kid. Um, I think it had a lot to do with the fact that I had a very high reading level, like in third and fourth grade. I was very close to high school by the time I got to fifth and sixth grade in my reading level. And I know it has to do with Sesame Street, although I've got to quibble with the count because I'm terrible with math and I love the count anyway. Uh, we'll talk to him about that later. But I have to ask you, because you got in so deep with the Sesame Street creators and you you worked on it on all these aspects of it but one of the things i loved about the book is how you you and carol spinney really hit it off oh my gosh yes you know um i interviewed him oh let me tell you how this came about please I was, yeah this is exciting because we have a long relationship the late carol spinney because yeah. unfortunately he passed away, but what a wonderful man. Okay, so I called him up and we arranged to see each other on Good Friday. And I was thinking, okay, it's Good Friday. He's thinking I'll get work done. I'll go into the administrative offices and I'll get all this stuff done. And so lo and behold, I'll meet you around three or four in the afternoon, which gave me plenty of time to get to New York City because I was in New Jersey at that time. All right, so I come and I meet him at this gingerbread restaurant and I recognize him because he looks a bit like Jim Henson. <laughs> and I've seen him here and there, but sometimes he's running here or he's in costume or whatever and I can't bother him. But at any rate, I go over to him and I say, Carol, hi. And he's looking at me and I said, well, what's the matter? And he said, the administrative offices were closed. Closed. They were all closed the whole morning of Good Friday. And I said, well, why didn't you reschedule? He said, well, you know, I thought I'd just wait. So he waited without anything to do. He was there maybe at nine or 10 in the morning uh, because everything was closed. It was Good Friday, whether he remembered it or not, who knows. But at any rate, I thought that was so gracious. It was so wonderful. Well, we had a private dining room in this restaurant and the fire's going, it's kind of a cold day and he's having onion soup and he's talking up a storm. And it was just the most wonderful interview. It was two or three hours. And then afterwards he autographed a picture of himself uh, for my son, Daniel, who was growing up at that time. Uh, so this was great. Then um, I'm doing the book. And so I contact him and I said, I need you to edit and tell me if I'm accurate with some of the things I'm doing, your part in the book. Well, he went overboard. He not only edited everything, he told me other stories. And so we're including those in like the story. I don't know if you read about Look Magazine and the uh, the overhead light, the uh, TV light fell down and caught his costume on fire or things like that, you know, that I wasn't there when that happened. Um, so 
he just went there and he went there. I mean, such a generous people, but I find everybody in media and those that work at Sesame Street, they are very generous. And they gave me three to four hour interviews. They just, I let them talk. I let them talk and they just love to talk. And so um, I called him back and I thanked him profusely. And he said, send me two books. This is my first book called uh, Secrets from Sesame Street's Pioneers, How They Produced a Successful Television Series. And he said, send me two books. One, I will draw Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch. I will do watercolor drawings of oh them. Oh my goodness. And he did. He did. And so um, he would send me Christmas cards and I would, you know, not to bother him too much, but I would just let him know how thankful I was. And so finally, after he passed away, this third edition, I had to say, thank you, Carol Spinney, for editing my manuscript. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, speaking of the, the, the costume catching on fire for Big Bird, I, I love this passage early on in the book where um, he's at a, at a party or something and somebody says, you know, I can, could, could, do you mind just uh, telling that story to us? Because, oh, yeah. You know, in media, you get this all the time. Everybody thinks it looks so simple. I can do it. Okay. So poor, poor Carol's at this meeting and this guy comes up and says, I can play Big Bird for an hour, you know, and Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, so Carol's going, probably rolling his eyes inside and saying, okay, here we go again. All right, so he was very nice, and he said, all right, you don't have to put anything, so in, let me back up, in order to play Big Bird, yeah, we have to have that. Um, this is tricky, this is very difficult, uh, Big Bird is eight feet tall, Carol Spinney, of course, isn't. So in order to gain that height, he has to put up his right arm straight up uh, and keep it straight up, you know, holding it straight up like this and insert his hand in the head of Big Bird, which weighs about four and a half pounds. And in order to do this, um, this is so he can manipulate the beak, and the eyes and turn the head and so forth. But he has to keep his arm up straight and and hold it in the head um, for as long as he's on the air. Yes, yes. So anyway, so he's saying, to, now that we know how it's done. So he's saying to the guy, okay, you don't have to put anything in your hand. Just hold up your arm straight. <laughs> And there was, yes, and there was a mantle. I mean, there was a clock on the mantle and, you know, a couple of minutes goes down and this guy, you know, puts down his hand and says, oh, gee, you know, I can't do this, you know. <laughs> Which, and Carol Spinney was very, I'm sure, gracious, you know. And right. so he said to me, what, what I know is if you're doing, if you're a puppeteer and it's comfortable the way you're doing it, then you're doing it all wrong. <laughs> and then he said, my arm has gotten so strong because he, he did physically Big Bird for over 46 years. Wow. 
Wow. And he says, my arm has gotten so strong that I'm great at painting ceilings. (laughs) (laughs) And so I have a little bubble in the book that says that. And it's such fun. (laughs) Well, Dr. Lucille, speak just if we could, because I... I mean, it's obvious that the the Muppets, the puppetry, are they're the eye candy that got little little me watching, right? Um, Jim Henson, uh, who who we lost way too young, uh, but Jim Henson, uh, how how pivotal was Jim Henson to Sesame Street's creation? I I, I want to make sure I get this correct. Was he yeah, the creator, he or was he somebody brought in as a co-creator, or was he somebody he was who brought, brought in? in as a okay. as for the Muppets? People uh, confuse this and it's okay because, you know, the Muppets are so big when you think of Sesame Street. So you naturally think that Jim Henson created it. No, uh, two people, Joan Cooney and Lloyd Morissette were the co-founders. They were together uh, having dinner and Joan Cooney at that time was complaining about the status of poor children's television and she didn't like it. She was a documentary film producer and so forth. And Lloyd was the head of the Carnegie Corporation at the time. So he said to her, hey, let's do something with TV and preschoolers, are you in? And she said, yes. So at any rate, she went around and did the research in order to plan and develop Sesame Street. What happened was, is that in the meantime, Jim Henson is doing Sam and Friends and he's very big, very big. And John Stone, who was the director um, and producer of Sesame Street, he's actually called the soul of Sesame Street. He worked with Jim Henson. So Jane Jones said, how do I get Jim Henson for the Muppets? And John said, I can get him in for you. So he came in and then everybody, all the producers, Dave Cano and Sam Gibbon and everybody knew that these Muppets would be just the great material for the writer's imagination, for teaching things to kids. And they were, and she was so excited she could get Jim. And so um, that formed a relationship. And the Muppets on Sesame Street are like Cookie Monster, The Count, Bert and Ernie, Big Bird, Oscar the Grouch. Um, And then there are Muppets that are not on Sesame Street that are separate. Okay, so what what Jim Henson did is he licensed those Muppets specifically to Sesame Street and said, these are yours. You can use them. We'll do, you know, a double payment here. And even after his death, they were still licensed to Sesame Street. And then just to clarify, Miss Piggy and... um, Raul and some of the other ones, um, you know, they are with Disney. Right, right. Okay. But now what's so great is that the workshop, Sesame Workshop, can has bought their Muppets. And so no one can, that's security, because if anybody was to buy them like Disney, that would be awful because then- right. 
you know, the workshop couldn't continue doing what they do. Right. So they are the owners of the Muppets. Now, now what about, about those Muppets? What about subsequent uh, to uh, that? Like, what about Elmo? He's he wasn't there in the beginning. Is he a Jim oh, Henson? Oh, he or... wasn't. This is a great story about Elmo. Okay, so um, a script writer, and they have some great writers there. And John Stone always said that this show is so fresh and good because of the writers. Um, all right, a writer um, wrote in a script for a red Muppet. And so it was in the drawer. And so um, one uh, Muppeteer started doing that and started getting the voice of Elmo, but he was having trouble. I'm not gonna name his name or anything like that. Yeah. So in frustration, he, he threw the Muppet to Kevin Clash, who was starting there, who um, was the first puppeteer for Elmo. And there was Elmo. Kevin Clash did an amazing job of doing the voice, the personality. I think for 28 years, yeah. he was Elmo. Um, then he left the show and someone else is doing Elmo, but that was, and then you remember that interactive toy. I think it came out in the uh, 80s or 90s, tickle me, tickle something me Elmo? Elmo interactive toy, and it was a very big toy. But that's how Elmo came about. Now, Elmo, so he moved on, but the real reason for Elmo being there is because we had to look at a younger audience. Three and a half year old children were starting to watch Sesame Street street and um and then we get four and five and kind of like six as opposed to in the beginning we're moving on uh six years old and yeah. you know um that happens there's a shift because tv gets to be um very you know the children get to you be used to tv yeah. and it's you know they there's they're ready to move on at an earlier age because it's not such a new thing and so forth. So Elmo was developed for the youngest viewers. So we would include a wider age range or start younger and then go up to maybe five. Okay. Now, years of age. Right. And, and it was Tickle Me Elmo. That's what it was, wasn't it? That like, was it. Yes. yes. Thank you. Oh, Thank it, was, you. <laughs> it was driving me crazy. I was like, I've got to remember this. Well, yeah. So that I wanted to establish that, but I have so, I have so many questions I want to ask you. And I and I know we are limited on time, but I, I want to ask you, I've got a couple of things. Well, the first thing though, and I, I appreciate you explaining kind of the shift in viewing habits, why, why things had to change a little bit, because uh, uh, I'm a big advocate for pre-K education. And of course, when I think of that, I think of Sesame Street. But what you're saying is, yeah, we had to kind of develop Elmo so we could reach a little younger and kind of write wow. and latch on a little bit. Well, um, you know, Fred Rogers talked about a shift, too, in his pro. I interviewed him, too. Oh my and goodness. he talked about a shift in his program. And so that's why, you know, I wasn't surprised when Sesame Street, you know, did that. Yeah. Well, let me, if, if you don't mind, I want to kind of look back here. I want to tell you just a few things I, as a, as a guy, kid who grew up on it, though, I love how Sesame Street respected children. It, it did not talk down to us. No. It, and, and what I love too, besides that, 
And I, I don't mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you everything I love. So and you can go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want you to tell me. But, no, but, but I love to hear what you love. <laughs> okay. Well, so I love that. But it was also, it, it was gently demonstrating to me what community looks like and what, what it should look like. And there's all the colors of the rainbow. There's all shapes and sizes of Muppets. There's, there's all this. But I'll tell you this, Dr. Lucille, and this, this is the thing. I grew up in Oklahoma, okay? The whole New York ethos was very alien to me. The brownstone, living in the city, all that. Think about all the interstitial stuff that was done beyond just the Muppets and being on the street, even down to the cartoons and the way some of the 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 the, the accents of the performers on the show and the little kids they'd bring in. They all sounded like they're from New York, you know? So I just want to tell you that what that did for a little boy in Midwest City, Oklahoma in the uh, early 70s, you know, it was quite an eye opener. Yes. It was. And, you know, one of the biggest um, goals of Sesame Street, besides its cognitive material, besides learning the numbers and the letters and shapes and classification, was tolerance. Showing that people, all kinds of people could get along together on the street. It didn't yeah. matter their culture, their race, um, the ethnicity. Oh, everybody could get along. In fact, Bob McGrath, who was an actor on Sesame Street since 1969. Yes. Do you remember Bob? I remember Bob and Gordon. I remember all of them. <laughs> yeah, he was great. Well, he was telling, when I interviewed him, he was telling me a story of he's going, um, he's in the Newark airport. And he, this girl from behind the counter says, hey, hi, Bob. She recognizes him from Sesame Street. And he says, oh, hi, hi. So um, I'm sure, you know, you learned a lot from Sesame Street. I'm sure you're very smart. I'm sure we've changed your life. And all of a sudden she looked and she said, yes, you did, in fact. I never knew that all kinds of people could get along together and be happy until I saw this on Sesame Street. Yeah. And she said, yes, you have changed my life. And he was just so happy. <laughs> uh, you know, Dr. Lucille, I, one of the things too, though, for me was very prominent and was when we lost Mr. Hooper, Looper, Hooper, when we lost Mr. Oh, Hooper. Hooper and Looper and Scooper. <laughs> but when, when he passed away, the show, again, talking about that respect for the children, the show did not sugarcoat it. The show explained th yeah. this gentleman passed away. Could you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, yeah. I was working on that and I was so happy they were being honest. Um, that they weren't saying he retired or went on vacation and they were dealing with the subject matter of death. And, you know, I had interviewed Fred Rogers before and he had said to me, you know what we need more of, Lucia, is we need more honest adults. So I'm thinking this is great. This is wonderful. Um, Norman Stiles was the head writer at that time and he was superb and we did a lot of research in the research department on what to do what to say you know kids wonder well gee how will my needs be met that was one of the things that came out of research and so we have big bird saying 
um, well, gee, who will make me my bird seed shake? And, you know, the um, person comes up, an actor comes up and says, oh, I will, or don't worry, big bird, and so forth. So at any rate, after we fed the research to Norman, he wrote this wonderful script of Big Bird is pretending to be an artist. And he's drawing pictures of Mr. Hooper and Maria and Bob and Gordon. <clears throat> and he's passing out these drawings. And then he, he says, uh, well, where's Mr. Hooper? And Maria or Susan, you know, pipes up and says, well, don't you remember Big Bird? We told you he died. And Big Bird says, oh, okay, no problem. I'll give it to him when he comes back. And Gordon says, oh, gee, you know, when a person dies, they don't ever come back. And Big Bird thinks for a while, and he's getting it, he's assimilating it. And then he says, never, never, he won't be back ever. And so they all come around in a group hug, and he's got, gotten to know it. Um, this was, the, this script won an Emmy, a Peabody uh, Award, and it was the first take. They didn't have to do any more takes because everybody had tears in their eyes. Will Lee, who played Mr. Hooper, was such a wonderful grandfather figure. And he just, um, he was so happy to act on Sesame Street because he was banned from acting because of the McCarthy era. Oh, really? He was blacklisted? Yeah, people don't know that. Uh, yes. And so this was an opportunity and he acted on Sesame Street, I think for about 12 years, something around there. And then uh, unfortunately he did get cancer. There was a time Carol Spinney was telling me who plays Big Bird where he could, he was close to uh, Mr. Hooper and he would kind of go off, off camera, Mr. Scooper, Looper you know, and so forth. And um, he was there when he wasn't feeling quite that well. And it was probably the last time he could be on the show. But at any rate, when I spoke with Carol, he said to me, this was the best scene we had done probably in 35 years of Sesame Street. Maybe that was overstating it, but we were all glad. And I mean, he was loved so much. Well, so it was a beautiful, beautiful scene. Yeah, I think I think it is just as I said. It's emblematic of the respect you showed for the children. Uh, you you respected our uh, the show respected our. I'll say the show you, but you representing it because you're part of it. I, uh, to me, uh, it respected our intelligence. It respected our humanity, and it expected. And the show expected of us, though the show expected of us to pay attention and learn. And it was. Uh, I can't, you know, I have a soon to be 13 year old and she just wasn't raised on it. There were so many other options. She looked at it a little bit. She liked Elmo a little bit, but yeah. it was kind of like you alluded to earlier. She, she moved on pretty quickly from it. And there's so many other 
draws on their yeah. attention. And I, I haven't even told you, I was vice president of a PBA the PBS station here in Kansas City. And, oh. and one of the things we were always talking about, you know, we have PBS kids and we have all this. I mean, there's such a, a cornucopia, which is good, of, of, of offerings for children. But I, I can recall thinking, I just don't want to lose out on the fundamentals here. I, I want Sesame Street yeah. to be front and center because we have a big... Um, uh, statue of Big Bird and Oscar in the lobby. And I'm like, I don't ever want to lose sight of the fact that that's the cornerstone of what we're supposed to be doing here. Yeah, there's a couple of things. First of all, um, when I interviewed Jane Henson, I didn't interview Jim uh, because he was so busy working, but I it was wonderful interviewing Jane Henson. And she said, the, the thing is with Sesame Street and one of the beautiful things is Working for children is the mature work in itself. It's not going on working for children and then moving on to adults. This is the mature work. This is the end, end all, be all. Also, too, when I interviewed Danny Epstein, who was the music coordinator for Sesame Street, he would say to me, we just think of the children as little people. Never talk down. We talk straight at them. And we, you know, the vocabulary has to be appropriate, of course, and the right. pictures. But other than that, it's as, as sophisticated as we can get. And it is true. Um, when I deal with children, um, it's like, I'm interested in you. You're a person like me. And we just go there as a partnership. And there isn't any difference, really, except that I'll just watch my vocabulary, make sure I'm explaining things on their level. But mostly it's like I'm talking to a good friend. You know, there's nothing different. It's, it's so, so when true. he said to me, little people, that's true. That's all they are, little people. And you just adjust. Um, so that is one of the, the reasons you have good people or one of the cornerstones of the workshop is that working for children, respecting the mind of a child is absolute, um, very, very tantamount to, hey, you know, this is what we need to do. And everybody is in that whole realm uh, John Stone, uh, he just loves Sesame Street, and he was called the soul of Sesame Street. Uh, unfortunately, he died very young at hmm. 65 from ALS. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was able to interview him before that struck, and um, it was a fabulous interview. In fact, I was able to interview all the pioneers um, before they passed away. Um, I just happened to be at the right time, right place, right time. Well, and I'm going to ask you one more Sesame Street centric question, if I could. And then I want to ask you a couple quick more before we have to let you go. I want to be respectful of your time, which I learned on Sesame Street. Oh, but uh, don't, don't, <laughs> don't worry. I have leeway. I have okay. leeway. So Very don't good. worry. Very good. Well, so you you interacted with Fred Rogers, who is also just a legend. In my generation, I think, in particular, uh, I am someone who is. I like to fancy myself as a child, as one of the people in the neighborhood, and uh, 
it's it's interesting that that's one thing my daughter totally missed out on where we tried to show it to her but i just couldn't connect it with her of course again she's gonna be 13 soon just a different generation um but i think the things he did that was he was as you said earlier that whole comment about how we need a, a more honest adults and how respectful he was of children so i guess what i wanted to ask you when i when i'm getting to this long way around this question is are we seeing a i don't mean at the children's television workshop okay i'm talking in general the media that parents have to choose from to put their kid in front of to expose their kid to are we seeing a, a diminution of that respect for the mind and and personality of children in your opinion um, I think with the media these days, you have to be selective. And when you're very selective, you can find these gold nuggets in addition to Sesame Street. Uh, the thing that's happening with Sesame Street now, which is why I wrote the third edition, is because in 2015, the workshop joined up with HBO. They were having a financial crisis. And so HBO has been producing, not that you would be aware because your daughter is 13 years old, but I had to say in a very gracious way that the episodes that HBO are producing now are not the real Sesame Street. Hmm. Um, they're too sleek, they're too saccharine. It's not the real Sesame Street we've grown up with. And in fact, um, Frank Oz, who was the right-hand man of Jim Henson, uh, he he did the puppeteer for Grover. And I think it was uh, Bert. Yeah. And yeah. he left that show saying, you know, it's just a shadow of what it used to be. But apart from that, and the reason the workshop joined up with HBO is they were having a financial crisis sure. and uh, they wanted to. And, you know, um, it's for about five years. So we're coming up on next year. They might think about leaving HBO. But here and there, in between the HBO episodes, there's all these initiatives that the Sesame Workshop is doing. That's the real Sesame Street. You just have to watch out for what's coming out of HBO because they really don't understand the, the model or, you know, there isn't that comprehension yeah. of Sesame Street. So it's a little bit, not a little bit, it's diluted a lot. But that's okay. What the workshop is doing, all these great initiatives on racism, on foster care, on autism, on the pandemic, yeah. and so forth. And they keep coming out with all these new things and you can see them. In fact, um, they have a newsletter out that parents can subscribe to very easily. And then you can see the new, the new um, segments and the things they're doing and you can stay current. And that's separate from HBO. Um, for instance, the what was it called? The ABCs of Racial Literacy. It was a great, great uh, segment they did with Elijah and Wes, these father and son. Um, 
and they're talking to Elmo and Elmo has red fur and they have right. black skin and they're talking about the differences and so forth. And then they find it's around fall and they find a leaf that's half red and half brown and they connect up together and say, look, see, we're joined together as symbolized by this leaf. It's a lovely little segment. And so all those things are being produced. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. So the, the workshop is still going there separately, but I had to say in as nice a way as possible why the episodes coming HB, out of HBO were not. Uh, something you want to watch, but there's plenty on YouTube. Yep, yep. And it's all over the place. You just have to watch out. Uh, it's I unfortunate, think it, but you just have to watch out. Well, I appreciate the heads up because actually ahead of this, I kind of caught a little bit of the other, and I, I it, it, it was different and and not. Yeah, if you you'll know by you'll know you'll see it. You know, there was I had a plumber come in here. I had a leak. <laughs> And I'm talking to him about this. And he says, you know what I did? I have two, I have a twin girls and I put the HBO Sesame Street on and the old Sesame Street on. And they turned away from the HBO and they were watching the old Sesame Street. I said, bravo. <laughs> you know, I the, a few years ago, and I this is not the same uh, group, I know. But I, of course, I also, when I was a little older, the electric company was big for me. And they kind of tried to revive that a few years ago, which, which I, I hope I'm not stepping on toes by saying I didn't care for it. Didn't care for it at all. It just A didn't. lot of people didn't. I think it was, I talked to Jane Henson a little bit about that. And she said it was maybe too clever something was a little I, bit awry with that see that's what i keep thinking is like the, the, today uh, i think the writers are are really wanting to wink at the audience and say well, aren't we smart aren't we clever and we're missing the, the the you know the layers that we're supposed to be getting through it's just this is like you said earlier it's about the kids but i think a lot of times it seems like the writers and the producers want to say look at us aren't we great and it's missing the point a little bit well, you know, you have to have teamwork and you have to have that that um, kind of familiarization or that feeling of, hey, we're, the egos are not involved. We're looking at the kids and we really care about you and we're going there because look at what Sesame Street has done in terms of impacting everybody's lives. And that was the synergy and the community and the teamwork that was at play with Sesame Street, which is why it was so successful. Right. Had a lot of good people that loved what they were doing, respected the children, um, wanted to contribute to their lives, believed in what they were doing. And so um, the, all those good people with high integrity, you know, produced a high quality show that was as sophisticated as could be, that respected the child. And you got something dynamite going on here. Absolutely. Absolutely. One, one more. I just have to, did you have any, I, I, I just hope you did, but if you didn't, it's okay. Did you ever meet Bob Keeshan? Did I have did, any, what? Did you ever meet Bob Keeshan, Captain Kangaroo? Oh, oh, I didn't. I got to talk with him on the phone. 
My mother set that up. It was so nice because I was trying. <laughs> By the way, in order to um, interview Fred Rogers, it took yeah. me a year because oh, I wow. had to interview the whole staff because it's a one man show. And so they wouldn't let me in until they were confident of me and trusting me. Bob Keeshan, he was, I felt a little bit badly because he was so kind of um, stressed by Sesame Street coming into play and things and, you know, he had to change the pace, but his pace was wonderful. Oh, in fact, you have to know, the people who worked on Sesame Street, Dave Connell, the producer, executive producer, Sam Gibbon, the associate producer, um, Jeff Moss, who wrote uh, Rubber Ducky, they all worked and were trained on Captain Kangaroo. And then they switched over to Sesame Street. Uh, okay. They are alumni of Captain Kangaroo. At any rate, in... And interviewing him, he was lovely. And we had a very nice interview. And I felt grateful that he consented on a phone interview because he just was, it, it was hard for him with the stress and he was trying to accomplish so much. And I just felt a phone interview was really just fine, sure. just fine for him. But yeah. this Captain Kangaroo, you have to understand, paved the way for Sesame Street because Bob Keeshan loved to educate children and believed that there wasn't enough educational television for children. And he went there. I mean, he would talk about these concepts, but put it right on their level. And he formed a bridge between what was familiar to something that was unfamiliar to help the child understand. Also, a little tidbit that people don't know. Remember, well, you don't remember, but Clarabelle. Um, okay, howdy doody. Right. You know, first children. Bob Keeshan was Clarabelle on howdy doody. One of them. Uh. And well, from that experience and from seeing the exploitation of kids, he developed Captain Kangaroo. So here you've got this gentle pace of talking to children in a gentle manner, respecting them, and just having a good time. He was great on improvisation, by the way. The whole team was. Oh, I yeah. I just think about Bun and Mr. Green Jeans and the how it's so great how Captain Kangaroo had this rapport with this this bunny head puppet and it was just delightful uh, and the pink pump balls Gus, that was Gus Allegretti oh, oh wow. and the, yeah and they Mr. Green Jeans and you know Gus and uh, Captain Kangaroo you know the three of them. They did have a woman there, but that didn't work out. Yeah, no one knows that. It was taught. He, Gus Allegretti told me that, and I shouldn't even bring it in. She was lovely. Um, but um, at any rate, so this, this threesome, and they would all improvise. I mean, there were times when, okay, Gus told me uh, Bob Keeshan is going along he's talking about the toys and he sees a, a rip in the set in the back or the paper 
and the guy, oh, he was talking about polishing your shoes. And then he sees this rip in the paper and, um, or the backdrop. And so he says, oh, because the camera's right on it. So he has to say something. So he says, oh, I think there's a mouse that lives here. So Gus Allegretti is running behind the scenes with this <laughs> little mouse puppet and say, and all of a sudden it comes up and Bob says something like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. Well, we were waiting for you. And so we get Mrs. Mouse. And so then there's another character and the whole show evolved this beautiful way through the improvisation and the characters and the, the three of them just went there. Um, you know, Mr. Green Jeans could play, I think it was the ukulele or the guitar. Was it the ukulele? I, I thought it how. was. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, they're having him play. And then uh, Gus could draw. So we were doing some drawings and uh, Bob was having a good time. But they would always do these jokes, not to take away from the kids, right. but to add to the flavor of the show. And they were very careful about that. You know, you know, this is a strange way to put this, but I'll just do it anyway. Um, if I was looking at, uh, if I was looking at the children's those three shows, okay, uh, Mister Rogers and Sesame Street, of course, and well, of course, there's Electric Company, but but Captain Kangaroo. Uh, if if maybe if uh, if Mister Rogers was kind of the Johnny Carson, let's just put it that way, and maybe uh, or maybe he was the who knows, maybe he was the Dick Cavett, just trying to put it in talk show parlance. But I always okay. viewed. I always viewed, uh, I view Captain Kangaroo like he was David Letterman. He was offbeat in a lot of ways, you know what yes. I mean? But he was still warm and interesting and funny, you know? And uh, I, you know what? School, school did not happen for me. I had to watch Captain Kangaroo and sprint to the bus stop in elementary school. That's what I had to do. And I mean, if I hadn't seen him in Bun uh, in particular, my day was ruined. So I had to see him. Oh, that is great. You know, they had grandfather clock just to help the kids like you um, to get them ready, you know, so they wouldn't be late for school. The thing about uh, Captain Kangaroo, Bob Keeshan, is that he could be there for the ch children in a beautiful, gentle way, but he could also be the butt of a joke. Yes. Yes. Yes, and Dave Kano would say that to me. You see, it was very easy for me <laughs> to interview the people who worked on Captain Kangaroo and Sesame Street because all I had to do, let's say I'm sitting with Dave Kano, is switch from Sesame Street and talk to him about <laughs> Captain Kangaroo because he worked there. Oh, wow. This is so great. Well, I bet there's a whole book in, in Captain Kangaroo out there, isn't there? Yeah, he's done a number of good books. Um, they're in my reference. Uh, he, he did some very good books. He is a man that really, um, his children are very lucky, very concerned about how children are treated and uh, respect for the mind of a child. And so he's... Um, the book, the title of the book has left me for a moment, but at any rate, you can get lots of good books from him, and I would advise you to do so. Well, you have got me fired up about this because you've just the fact that uh, I can meet you, who is uh, truly a, 
obviously a huge part of keeping the flame going for Sesame Street, your passion for it. Um, no other children's show has won the number of enemies garnered by this show, garnered the hundreds of millions of viewers, or received the critical acclaim of Sesame Street, so I can see why you're drawn to it. Can you, in our moments that we have left, just tell us, please, if you would, I know you're very humble, but a little about you and what you're doing besides this book to help kids and parents today. Oh, my gosh. You know, I, gee, first of all, let me say that this book came about because I was doing my doctorate when I was a consultant at Sesame Street in the research department, and they allowed me to interview, and as I said, the pioneers are the ones who created Sesame Street. They talked for hours and hours and hours, and I said to myself, even though I have these questions and it's going to be hard to transcribe and everything, I'm going to let them talk. Yeah. And it was wonderful. It was wonderful. In terms of me for children, I've always, I found educational media when I was 19 years old and I've loved it, but I've also loved children. So when there was an op, what happened was as I was doing my doctorate, I had told my doctoral advisor, uh, Dr. Gordon, that I really would love to see if I could work or intern or do something with Sesame Street. And so he developed a field trip and we all went to New York City. And there I met with the research staff of Sesame Street. He planned this out for me, which is why the first dedication to the book is Dr. Gordon, Dr. Roger Gordon, who always believed in me. Um, so I met uh, Dr. Valeria Lovelace, and she said to me, do you want to do an internship? And I, any way to get my foot in the door. So I did that summer, you know, because you can't, beggars cannot be choosers. You just have to go there. And the combination of being able to work for children and then do ed media was something that was icing on the cake. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what I've done for the last 14 years uh, into uh, before COVID, I had to stop a little bit with COVID hitting, but I, the public schools here in San Diego, um, they need assistance. They need some help. So I was working with this teacher and for about 13 to 14 years, I was reading aloud every Friday to second graders. I love to read aloud and it was so fabulous. That's just one of the ways I can connect with children. And so um, I try here and there to connect with children. I will continue to, um, I think my next step is to read aloud to um, children that are cancer patients or they don't even have to be children. You know, reading aloud is so bonding and it's so wonderful that even if you're, you're the person you're reading to can read, it's still wonderful to read aloud to them. Yes. And so also too, there's assisted living people. So I'm gonna continue that way too. And um, I touch base with children as much as I can around the neighborhood and everything. Um, but again, working with Sesame Street, because I believe in, in the 
child and how wonderful and respecting the child, it was icing on the cake to be able to go there in ed media, but work with children. And it's like, because I was gonna go into children's television, but then um, I had to earn a living. So, so <laughs> I, I broke away. So this was like going back to my dream. The website is teachingkidstolove.com. Is that correct? Yes, but let's do this because okay. it's under construction. That's all right. It's on Amazon. Very easy. Just go to Amazon then. Yes. Okay. There's a third edition. And then there's a second edition. Now, the third edition is pretty expensive because uh, it's the last book I'll do on Sesame Street. All the information really is in. And I did a hardcover and it's a coffee table book. So it might be too expensive, but there's a second edition, which is very comparable. And whatever you you want is is just great. And you can reach me by email. I'm very accessible. So we can always continue the dialogue. Well, Dr. Lucille Burbank, this has truly been a sunny day. And <laughs> I I mean, thank you, because you you know what I all I asked at the beginning was that would you tell us how to get inside Sesame Street and we got there and more. Oh, my gosh. Dr. Lucille Burbank, author of The Inside Secrets of Sesame Street, available on Amazon. By the way, check your show notes. There'll be a link. You don't even have to go hunt for it. Just click the link. Buy the book. Dr. Lucille Burbank, thanks for joining <laughs> Thank me here. You. I really enjoyed meeting you. And I, I think and you'll I, have I, fun with the book. I, I, if it's half as fun as you, I think so. <laughs> well, it's nostalgia. And nostalgia is joy. Oh. So enjoy, everybody. Enjoy. Thanks so much for listening to Mysterious Goings On. Don't forget we have a complete archive of all of our interviews, monologues, updates, live readings, dead readings. All of that stuff is available at mgopod.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to us so you never miss an episode. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the usual suspects. Please join us there. Again, don't forget, mgopod.com also has links where to find me on social media and how to get in touch in case you want to be a guest here on the show. Well, I think it's time that I move on for this week, but until next time, keep reading.